We are indeed. We are indeed celebrating Pentecost. And most of us, when you think of this, it is the end of Easter. Next Sunday is Trinity Sunday, uh, which is, of course, the Trinity that we celebrate, which is very beautiful as well. You think that the guys who did the liturgical year calendar had a plan because we've just celebrated Jesus' life and then the sending of the Holy Spirit and then we have a Sunday where we celebrate the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. My gosh. So that's Trinity Sunday next week. Maynard's going to be teaching, I think. And then we are in ordinary time, which is fitting that it's most of the year. Um, because ordinary time can feel like there's nothing happening. There's nothing much happening. And I think in our lives, there are periods where nothing, it doesn't feel like not anything much is happening in terms of our spiritual lives. So we're going to journey together through that time and see whether we can't help each other experience God in new ways. So Pentecost, normally when you think of Pentecost, we think of the, if you're a good Christian who's been in church for a while, you'll think of the uh, Holy Spirit being sent to the disciples, who then finally have enough insight, because we talk, I've talked about this before, that the disciples, uh, even though Jesus taught them well and repeated messages, they didn't really get the message. Or if they got it, they would forget it as soon as they heard it. So once the Holy Spirit comes upon them, they, it clicks, and they start preaching, and the Holy Spirit Every time somebody comes to faith, they receive the Holy Spirit. So if you know that, that's fantastic, that's great, you're a good Christian. Um, what a lot of Christians don't know is that as with Passover or Peshach or Seder, you've got a Jewish festival at the origin of Pentecost. Uh, Pentecost is still a Jewish festival. They don't call, yes, they sometimes call it Pentecost. Which is... 50. And it's 50 because it's 50 days after Passover. You've got your, it's, um, you can go on to the next one, thanks. Paul, you've got your, um, two, it's in two parts. On the one hand, it's the Feast of the Harvest, but that's for Israel and the Northern Hemisphere particularly. But on the other hand, it's for the giving of the law. So you've got Passover, where we celebrate the deliverance from Egypt. And then seven weeks after that, and if you go seven times seven, it's 49. So on day 50, you celebrate the giving where Moses receives the law from God. And in essence, Israel starts. They starts the Israel that we understand and that goes throughout the Old Testament, right? We're going to come back to that. Just get that in your, get it into your ear. But up until now, and throughout Easter, Easter started with Passover. We've been celebrating the significance of Jesus' death and of his, what that means for our lives and how we live our lives, right? And we had a little station every week where you could, if you wanted to, um, there was a QR code for a video uh, that we, I used when we started Easter, 
and there you could use the communion, use, use bread, use wine to celebrate, but on an individual basis. I want, I'm going to, going to play the video again now, just to remind, if you were here, to remind you, if you were not here, to experience it for the first time, uh, a little of our focus for Easter this year.
video. Um, I think if I, I want to ask, uh, and there is no wrong answer, don't be afraid. Uh, if you had to explain um, what the good news is, the gospel is, um, what would you say? Anyway. Freedom. Freedom? Mm -hmm. Why freedom? Yeah. Oh, we're coughing. Freedom? <laughs> Do you want to talk or do you want to say something? <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, Marguerite. Oh, sorry. Can you please go on? Marguerite, I'm going to come to you. Freedom in the sense of, like, that, not, not have to carry that, that guilt around mm -hmm. the whole time. Mm -hmm. it's like, just realize you, you do make mistakes, but like, mm -hmm. it's fine. Mm -hmm. Marguerite? Resurrection. Explain that in a <laughs> sentence. No, just, I mean, yes, but so that we know we're on the same page. Because he makes all things new. Okay. Which are good answers. Um, they are the answers I give, I would give. Um, I mean, that's why we started, uh, or we ended um, Resurrection Sunday with that video. But I've been struggling with a text the last few weeks, which in a way challenges that idea. Because if you think about it, um, when we explain what the gospel means, it's a very individual thing. Right? It's about my freedom, my resurrection. And it's also about freedom from sin. Okay. So I've been struggling with this text. And in order to try and understand this text, I went through the gospel again. Um, and I want to take you on that journey. We're not going to read the whole gospel. Uh, but I want to take you on that journey with me. And then I want to see if we can't find something new. We say, we say and I believe that, he makes all things new. Maybe we can find a new aspect to the, to the message that we might have missed before. Um, Interesting, uh, we're going to use Mark primarily, and I want, we're going to read two verses from Mark 1. Uh, these, this is from the um, English Standard Version. So I think most of the Bibles, I didn't realize there were different translations until I went, I thought they were all NIVs, but they're not. And it's going to be up here, so you can read with me. Um, what's interesting is, well, it might not sound interesting, it sounds, yes, we've heard this. Mark 1 verse 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. What's amazing, uh, we think, okay, great, that's, let's get into it. When the first uh, hearers, because it was probably told to them, or readers then, when they heard that sentence, it immediately opened up a picture for them. Because this was not the first time they heard these words. The good news of the Son of God. This was commonly used when you were describing a particularly good Caesar. It started with Augustus. Because before Augustus, the Roman Empire was chaos. Total, absolute chaos. 
And Augustus came and he brought peace. And that is also where the idea of seeing Caesar as a, de as a deity comes from. So it was not that one day Augustus woke up and said, I'm really, I'm so fantastic, guys. I think you should pray to me as the high priest, as a demigod at least. I'm a son of God. Let's do that. I'm not going to be too arrogant. I'm not going to say I'm God. I'm the son of God. Let's do that. That's not how it happened. He brought peace, and with peace comes prosperity, obviously. You can't farm if people are fighting on the land you want to farm on. The blood, I think, and the guts, it's not good for the soil. So now you can farm, and you can trade, and you can do all of those things. And everybody was happy. And of course, when you're that happy, and it was this one guy who made it all possible, it's not that illogical to think they started thinking this guy is not any guy. This guy has to be something special. He has to be the son of God. We don't know that. So we hear this and we think, okay, this is great. They hear this and they think, wait a minute, but isn't Caesar the son of God? Isn't he the one that brings the good news? So what is Mark doing? In one verse, in a very small sentence, he's saying, no, no, guys, you think it's Caesar. It's Jesus Christ. So everybody now has a different expectation. And this is a very radical sentence to say. In an empire where it started peacefully with Augustus, people wanted to say the Son of God, obviously guys coming after him weren't all as great. And those guys enforced the Son of God. But in an in a empire where this was standard associated with Caesar to say, no, no, Jesus Christ is the Son of God, is a radical statement. It's actually a political statement. Okay, we move on to verse 14 to 15. Now, after John was arrested, uh, between, in between this, um, we don't, Mark is, we've, I've talked about this before, Mark is the lion of the Gospels. He, storms like a lion, so he doesn't give us lots of detail. He's not the guy that will go into the description of the water of Jordan. He wants to give us the essence. So he's the bullet point guy. He's not me. I'm not Mark. <coughs> I think uh, Nicholas is Mark in our case. Uh, so he wants to give us bullets. What happens? It's the gospel of Jesus. John comes. Well, he begins saying, he quotes Isaiah, said that the prophet will come to prepare the way, which is John. We hear about John, Jesus comes to him, he's baptized, he receives the Holy Spirit, he goes into the desert, and he comes, he's tempted, he comes back. All of that in 13 verses. Now, we hear that John is arrested. Why would John be arrested? Because the message he is proclaiming is a dangerous message. And we also know that uh, John dies a very horrible death because of a spoiled girl uh, Herod's daughter, who says, I, just, I don't want him just dead, I want his head on a plate, serve to me, thank you very much, Daddy. And he does that. So after John is arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. These two verses are here for a reason. 
Because normally, and we don't realize it, but normally when we think of the word gospel, we think of the forgiveness of sins, of freedom, of resurrection. What is, and that's, that's Paul. When you read Paul and he talks about the gospel, that is the gospel he's talking about. What gospel is Mark talking about? You go to verse 1, Jesus Christ. That is the gospel. So for us to understand the gospel that we have to believe, that we need to believe, we need to understand Jesus Christ and who he was and what he did. Because believing the gospel is believing his life. And obviously not just believing, but doing. I think for them, they, did, they didn't feel they needed to say believe and do, because belief meant do. That brings us to who Jesus was. And to Paul, ironically, we're saying, Mark says, it's, well, when we start with the gospel, it's not Paul's gospel. It's not forgiveness of sins or freedom. But for a very good summary of Jesus' life, we go to Paul, to Philippians 2. Um, and it's not there, so you have to go to the next slide, Paul. Paul, Paul you're going to have to go to the next slide. Where the, in Philippians 2, we have the famous V, where it talks about how Jesus sacrifices up unto death and into hell, and then is raised up into heaven, sitting at the right hand of God. And we tend to, I mean, we know that all of these bad things happen, but we tend to focus on the uplifting part and the ending with God. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God giving up his godliness to become fully human. He's not like the X-Men or like Superman or like anybody with a special power. He is fully human. I think we don't always think about it that way. That's why he needed the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just a beautiful symbol. Because he was fully human, he needed to receive the Spirit of God to enable him to do all of the things he did. Ultimate sacrifice. Ultimate emptying. I can't imagine being God and saying, I love you enough that I will give all of this up to become a baby who is completely and utterly dependent on other people for at least the first two years of my life. But that's what he did. What he also does is in Mark, we see this very beautifully. Um, you'll see it starts there. He says that he came into Galilee. And in Mark, Jesus never goes back to Jerusalem right up until the end. And we know what happens at the end, right? Okay. Why does he do that? Because Galilee is a place that to Jews was not really a good place to be. But he chooses it to say, you remember the kingdom of God that I say is near? The time is here at hand. I am going to show you what the kingdom of God looks like here in Galilee. And in the end, it becomes, you've got a story of two kingdoms. 
Because he says it's new. I'm, I'm establishing a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. So there's this new kingdom, the kingdom of God, and we all know what Jesus did. He healed people, he accepted people, he forgave their sins, he did the most amazing things. Most of the time to people who everybody felt did not deserve it, right? But to have a new kingdom, you have to have an old kingdom. So where is the old kingdom? The old kingdom is the temple and the Jewish faith. And we see this and why he does this. Because, I mean, remember, this, this is causing tension. That's why the guys don't like him. Because he's saying, this is new. And if this is new, this has to replace the old. And they see it coming. Which brings us to our text. Our little sandwich. I'm sorry if I'm making you hungry. We are going to do um, a Eucharist uh, communion later. So you can just take a bigger chunk of bread and then eat when you get home. But this is a little sandwich. You'll see why when you read it. It's in Mark 11. On the following day, uh, this is right after the entrance into Jerusalem, where everybody was like, yay, Jesus! And through their clothes and through palm leaves, you are the one. Right. When they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves. For it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer? for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. In the Greek, it's literally a cave. So you, when you hear it, it's like those Aladdin vibes where you've got this massive cave full of treasure and you just have to have the secret word, which I'm sure is not open sesame anymore, that would be too easy, to just get out all that treasure. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, so they're coming back into Jerusalem, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Um, don't take it away, Paul. Take it to the first part of the text, please. Uh, all of us remember that verse, the ask for anything, and it will be given to you. And all of us are thinking, yes. So my BMW, my... I don't want a BMW. What would I want? My bag, my beetle, my house, my health, all of these things. I just have to ask, and they will be given to me. And then we forget the sandwich, because there's a whole lot of sandwich going on before that little piece of bread at the end. And I want us to talk about this. It sounds strange, because when we hear, it sounds strange for Jesus to go to a tree, and we hear, it says here, 
it's not, it wasn't the time, it wasn't the time for figs. For him to go to a fig tree because he's hungry and then curse it. But again, fig trees only have leaves once they have blossomed and bore fruit. So they are one of those that have their fruit first and their leaves second. So it's not really that crazy for Jesus to see a fig tree and to think, I might still find a fig or two. Right? So what then is what, what then is it's not the time for figs, if there are going to be figs? Another interesting thing about the fig tree is that the fig tree was always used as a symbol for Israel. And especially in the Gospels, it becomes a symbol for true, for the true Jew. You've got the sticker, the badge, the t-shirt, the, you've got everything. You are a fig. You are the fig tree. Israel is the fig tree. Keep that in mind. Also, remember we said at the beginning it's a little radical in terms of empire? Because what did the Roman Empire do? The Roman Empire came and said, so we brought you peace. Yes, it's true, we might have killed a few thousand of you to get that peace, but for the honor of that peace, you need to pay us. And you need to be thankful. And they take. So now, the little you have left, the figs that could have been left on the tree, are not there. And they never ever will be there again. That is why Jesus says, no, no one ever eat from your fruit again. He's talking about, because it's not, we, can, we could say, it's as easy as saying, oh, the Roman Empire was a horrible empire. But it's not just the Roman Empire. We also have the temple. These guys are benefiting. Both of them are benefiting. The temple might say out loud, of course we are true only to, Jesus, uh, only to God, sorry, not Jesus, oh, that would be shocking. We are true only to God, but in the back we've got our arrangement with the Roman Empire. So they get theirs, we get ours, and everybody's happy and rich. And, the result, there are no more figs. So he's judging the whole process. That means that there's no, there are no figs anymore, ever. Because all of them are taken. They could be taken by the temple, they could be taken by the empire, whoever they took them. Right, which leads very nicely from that little piece of bread into the meat of the sandwich. You can, if you like cheese rather than meat, and we're not talking about anything with listeriosis. We're talking about escort meat, which does not have listeriosis, I swear. Where he goes into the temple, and what does he do? He cleanses the temple. Why? I want to go as far as not even, not even because they were selling, not because they were dying and they were because they were exploiting. Because they were using the fact that you had to bring offers as a way of exploiting people, taking everything. So that they had this big cave full of riches that all of them ate well every night. Because what did you do? You bought your dove at a discount price 
and you offered it, but they only physically offered a very small piece of that dove. The rest, they got. So every time that somebody had to come and offer something, they were like, yay, dove for dinner. And the more the merrier. What else is happening? Because they are filling up the temple, there's less space. In fact, the theory is that the court of Gentiles, because remember the temple worked, you had your rings where people could go. Court of Gentiles was the outside court where everybody could go. That it was so full of merchants that there wasn't room for Gentiles. How ironic is that, but also how poetic. So you're saying the temple is open, Gentiles can come, but there isn't actually space for Gentiles to be in. When Jesus then throws the tables over and screams at these guys, why does he scream at them? He uses a prophecy from Isaiah, which says, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. So not just the Jews, everybody. And you are preventing this from happening. So he's saying, you guys are, you need to get out of here. All of you, because you are not doing the will of God. You are preventing people from seeing him instead of helping them to see him. Which brings us again to the fig tree. I mean, obviously, the, the, the reaction of the priests and the high, it, it's, it's a natural reaction. What's interesting is that the people, they, the way it's structured is that the, the high priests or the priests were fearful because the people were intrigued. So at this stage, I mean, yesterday they were like, yay, yay, Jesus. Today they're like, hmm. They're not angry at him for throwing tables over. They, they're intrigued. Why are they intrigued? Because remember, they thought he was going to come and overthrow everything. The Roman Empire at the end. But this might be a good place to start. Why not the temple? Why not the guys who exploit us? And then, of course, tomorrow, Rome, the next, uh, sorry, tomorrow, Jerusalem, the next day, Rome, the day after that, the world. So they're still kind of on his side, but a little bit more neutral. And then obviously the guys want to take care of him, because that's what we do. When something bothers us, when it's irritating, we get rid of it. Which brings us to the last piece, where we see the tree again. And it's so, it's funny, um, in an ironic way, that in the first place we hear Jesus cursed the tree, we hear that we see and hear that the disciples heard it. And then the next morning when they walk past the tree and the tree is dead, Peter is surprised and he remembers. It's like it's a new thing, like it happened seven weeks ago. And he says, oh, look, it is actually dead. Almost unbelievable. This leaf. At which Jesus answers, listen boy, I told you, have faith in God. If I cursed the tree yesterday and it's dead today, don't be surprised, have faith. Because that is what was supposed to happen. And then he goes on to a very interesting thing where he talks about mountains and being thrown into the sea and asking for anything that you want. When we think of mountains, when I think of mountains, I think of fireside, fireplaces, especially in this weather, and red wine and beautiful views. When they thought of a mountain, mountains began as the places where gods lived. 
That's why you have Mount Olympus. Because they weren't as good as mount, at mountain climbing as we are. So a very high mountain would be covered in clouds, snow, and they would think, well, something has to be there. In this case, the mountain is where Jerusalem is. And on top of the mountain is the temple. So when he says, you can ask for this mountain to be thrown into the sea, the sea being the place of death, destruction, chaos, it will go there. That's a very radical statement. He's saying, you have the power to overthrow the temple. And then he goes on to say, ask anything. Ask anything and it will be given to you. But when you read it in that context, I don't think he means ask for a Mercedes. He means ask for anything that will be freeing for other people. That will break chains, that will stop oppression. And it will be given to you. Which brings us back to what is the gospel? And especially because today we are, we are celebrating Pentecost. We're celebrating the fact that the Holy Spirit was sent to us to enable us to live the life that Jesus lived. Because luckily, at that stage, Jesus, God knew, that's why Jesus was sent, that we aren't good at this on our own. And Jesus' life showed him that we still aren't good at this on our own. Even though he came and drew us a picture, it's not enough. Send the Spirit. If we celebrate that we have the Spirit, because we do have it, if you believe you have received the Spirit, you are now a temple. What does faith mean? Faith means don't live a life that makes you another temple, old kingdom. Faith is to live a life that breaks barriers, that opens up spaces for people to meet God. And where there are things hindering them, to take them away. Like the mountain with the temple, to take it and throw it in the sea. Which is different from, yes, we are saved, yes, we are new. But it's a newness that is not just individual. It's about our life as a community. A community that is free, that is full of grace, and that fights for other people to have freedom and grace to not be oppressed. Not just in a spiritual sense, in a political sense, in an economic sense, in all of the senses you can imagine. When you leave here tonight, and you think about the fact that you've got the Holy Spirit. When you pray, I pray that you will ask God to show you where you can be that instrument of change, where you need to fight to make the statement to be the radical person. Because there are lots of, there is so much bondage, and it's, we're not talking about the sexual kind, that as well. But there's so, there's so much oppression on so many levels in South Africa, 
and in our context, in all contexts, but in our context. And when we hear the gospel, when we hear that we are filled with the Spirit, when we know that we are saved, we need to step into those spaces and throw over the tables. I am going to pray for us, and then we are. You, <coughs> if you're new, you don't know this. If you're not new, you know this. Um, I love me some ritual. So I'm going to pray. We are going to sing a, f- a few songs to get us into the swing of things. And then we are going to have a little process, and that's how it ends. So um, if you are afraid that you're going to miss the 8 o'clock movie, then, uh, I don't know what it is tonight, then you make sure that you get up first. Of course, um, just a little side note, terms and conditions. This is, of course, only if you're comfortable with doing all or any of this. If you're not, you can just sit, listen to the music, and once one or two people are there, you can get a cup of coffee and stand around. Okay, please. So only if you're comfortable with this, because I know everybody is not. What's going to happen? Because this is the last Easter, after we've sung our songs, our video is going to start playing, nice music. And as you are ready, you're going to stand up. Nicholas, who you saw earlier, is going to be at the communion table, and he's going to serve you communion. As the last day of Easter, let's celebrate the fact that there was that Jesus Christ did come. That we don't just have the good news of, in our case, Jacob, Zuma, Sarah Ramaphosa, but that we have the good news of Jesus Christ. And after that, because it's not just about the crucifixion, crucifixion, resurrection, ascension, it's also about our anointing with the Holy Spirit. There's another table, you'll see it there, with anointment oil. And the paper you received, um, if you were wondering what the blank space was about, that's for the anointing well. So if you feel comfortable with that, you can go to that with your paper. If you want to make a cross with the oil, you can make a cross, you want to make a heart, whatever, whatever you are taking away with you from what I said, do that. There's even a pen if you want to put a word or two with. So now the, the anointment oil is from Exodus. So the guys who are here with Ash Wednesday knows it smells beautiful. The idea is you take it away and um, once it's dried, you can have it in a book somewhere. It's going to be your, I mostly be, I cut these, I know. It's going to be your skewest bookmark ever. Just breathe through it and put it in a book. You'll be okay. I will also be okay, I think. <laughs> but yes. Um, And if you are comfortable, you are welcome to take some of the oil and anoint yourself, because that is what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, We decided not to use fire. It's a little problematic, dangerous even. So yes, does everybody understand the process? We're going to sing, I'm going to pray, we're going to sing, and you can do communion with Nick and do the oil on your bookmark. And as you are done with that, well, there's a little piece of tissue, uh, what is that called? Cotodron. Yes. To wipe your finger on, because I know having an oily finger is disgusting. 
so you can wipe it off and then you can get yourself more coffee and you can stay and talk or you can go remember if you're new to live in a card if you're not just using SMS and also the joy bucket thing okay but let's pray first Lord God, we tend to make things about us. We, we see your grace, your mercy, your love, and we think about the impact it has on us. And it does have an unbelievably amazing impact on our lives. But thank you that you reminded us tonight that it's not just about us. That the picture Jesus Christ drew us when he came was one of breaking chains. Not our chains, not just our chains, not just sin. But that he came to establish righteousness, to make the way to you open for anyone. Thank you that we that when you left and the disciples were nervous and huddled in a room that you did not leave them there. But that as you promised you sent your spirit. And on a day when Jews celebrate the giving of the law we are able to celebrate the giving of you that you freed us from the law, from, from all things. May that inspire us to where we can and in whatever way we can free others. May we live your grace, your kindness, your radicalness. stand back when we want to hesitate. Through your spirit, poke us. Keep poking us, keep reminding us, keep making us uncomfortable until we do what you want us to do. Those things we see, but do not want to see. Without you in our lives, without you in us, this prayer would not be really possible. You, God, are above understanding. I want to celebrate that. Thank you that even though you are above understanding, you are involved in each one of us, in our lives our hearts and our bellies. We want to live lives that give thanks to you by living the new kingdom we are part of. Enable us through your spirit.